Hello and welcome to the Overly Animated Podcast, where we take animation seriously. We provide fan-oriented and analytic discussions on a variety of animated shows, movies, and anime, including Steven Universe and Gravity Falls. I'm Dylan Heisen, and today I'm joined by Mel Moyer. Hello. Today Mel and I are going to be looking back on the 1984, I believe, uh, Hayao Miyazaki film, Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind. Uh, all-time animation classic um, not technically a Studio Ghibli movie because it had not been created yet but is considered one uh, it was produced by Takahata <clears throat> directed written by Miyazaki so it's all the all the Ghibli crew there so we'll classify this under our Ghibli rewatch series uh, you can find information about this podcast at overlyanimated.com and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash overlyanimated uh, okay, so to start, uh, this is the first Miyazaki movie we're getting into on this podcast, and I would like to preface this discussion. Um, I don't. I want to preface it, but not bias your opinion, Mel, um, because of course I have my own opinion, and you're not under any obligation to say you like love Nausicaa. But I do want to say that this is one of the Ghibli films, which to me is basically untouchable. Uh, this is. So this starts off a run of films by Miyazaki, um, going into Castle in the Sky, Totoro, uh, maybe not Kiki's, but Porco Rosso, Mononoke, and Spread It Away. These are, my, these are what I think are the best films of all time. Uh, not just animation, but like a film in general. And I'm, I just want to like clarify my opinion going into this because I'm, generally very critical of things uh i feel like that makes for better discussion but i'm not sure i'm going to be able to for like this group of miyazaki films these are this is it right (laughs) this is uh everything in in animation uh we're going to talk about the influences this film might have had today and it's just so far reaching uh i basically i revere uh this film and the ones that i listed and it's it's just I need to, and I'm nervous about talking about them like this because they're so important and so good, and they're just everything. <laughs> nice. So yeah, <laughs> so we're gonna. I don't know. I'm more likely to want to do the more recent ones than these group of classics. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what type of discussion we can get from Nasca of the Valley of the Wind. Uh, we, Mel and I, both rewatched this film. Uh, today, if you have not seen Nausicaa, I would say that it's required viewing for a fan of animation. Um, it's not; it's it's a very genre movie, so it's not like it's going to be loved by all. Uh, but it is, I would say, like more than any other movie in history, <laughs> this is required viewing. Uh, and it's it's you can you'll start to see all the influences if you watch it. Um, spoilers for this film throughout, of course, uh, but. Yeah, so let's get into this, Mel. Um, so with Nausicaa, when did you first watch it? Dub? Did you watch it dub or subbed? What did you watch it this time? What did you think of it the first time? What do you think of it now? Um, I first watched it a couple years ago when Dylan made me do the uh, like master list of Studio Ghibli uh, films. I watched it dubbed the first time. Um, and this is the first time I watched it in since then. I only watched it the one time. This time I watched it subbed. Um, I have to say, like, I, I I liked it a lot better the second time watching it. Um, Porco Rosso is my favorite, probably, um, Studio Ghibli film. And I think it still might be. I'd have to rewatch it now to to be sure. But I just found myself enjoying this a lot. I don't know if it was the dub or, like, going into it thinking, okay, I had to think about what I wanted to talk about it. But um, 
definitely enjoyed it a lot more this time. Got a lot more out of it. Um, thought it was it was great. So um, my opinion between the two watches has uh, gone up. Gone up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is actually my first time watching this movie subbed. Um, I'm making an. I've always historically like so basically my early early in high school I kind of went through all the Ghibli movies life changing. Um, I watched them all dubbed. Uh, because I feel like that is what you should do in general with Ghibli movies. I mean, this is what Miyazaki says. Miyazaki says you should watch the movies in your own language, and he is the master, and so we should trust him on this. But uh, I wanted to watch them subbed this time if I hadn't already so, to form a fuller opinion for these discussions. And uh, I think the dub of this film is very good. Uh, it came out in Thurman. It came out, yeah. It came out in two thousand five. Uh, I think Disney did the dub. Uh, I would assume they probably so. did. They've done a few Miyazaki dubs. Um, yeah, it was by it was re-released by Disney originally, not by them, I guess. Uh, but yeah, the 2005 dub, I would say it's it's very very good. Uh, Uma Thurman is the most notable voice in there. She is she brings a lot of interesting quality to uh, Princess Kushana. It's she. I, I don't know if <laughs> I feel like she's she. These recognizable voices in the dubs are either you're either going to love them or hate them. I loved Uma Thurman here. Um, watching subbed, I was impressed by how well the dub rep- replicated like the type of qualities of the character, like Alison Lohman does Nausicaa, and uh, basically the Japanese voice actress for Nausicaa was <laughs> it was Alison Lohman, basically the Japanese version, uh, just a very uh, very much a young Genki girl, um, which means like energetic, um, and that's like a TV trope, which is why you use the Japanese there, but it's it's. <laughs> Look up Gen- Genki Asterisk. Girl on tvtropes.com. Yeah. So it's 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 a very good dub. Uh, watching it subbed, I honestly don't think there's much of a difference in terms of what you get out of the film because mm-hmm. of the fantasy setting. Uh, I'm big on watching subs for films that actually take place in Japan because I think you get more from more of the cultural aspects if you actually watch like in a language where it takes place. But this one is a fantasy world, so I don't think it matters too much, honestly. Uh, I was impressed by the sub. Basically, so my thing with Nausicaa. Nausicaa is the greatest film of all time. Um, I don't mean the greatest animated film. I mean the greatest film of all time. Uh, I've seen Citizen Kane multiple times. <laughs> and I think Nausicaa is better. Seriously. Why would you sit through that multiple times? Uh, I don't... I, Citizen Kane's very good. I've, I've maybe seen it twice, you know, but it's... It's good from an academic standpoint. I don't I think, I think it's watch better. it five times. Well, it's, it's interesting. It's a very interesting character study. But... Uh, like this isn't my favorite favorite film of all time. This is not if you know my tastes um giant fantasy epics are not necessarily what I would default go for. I'd go for quieter ones, but uh I just I'm just so reverential towards this. It started everything. Uh and we're going to go over what it started, but uh watching this time um I was less impressed by the climax than I was previously. Whoa. Interesting. I don't know. Uh, I remember the climax being the best thing ever. And it was more quiet than I remember, which isn't a bad thing, but it's just, it's it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think Nausicaa is one of the best characters of all time. Uh, one of the most influential, uh, one maybe the most influential character ever. Uh, she's, I would say that she might be the reason why the current uh, in animation industry in Japan is so female-centric uh, with their leads and stuff. It might go back to Nausicaa, and, uh, which they pronounce her name differently in the sub by the way which i noticed uh nashika it's hard it's not an english thing so it's hard to do uh but yeah she's 
this this film if there are criticism of it criticisms of it um you can go into how where do we don't get that too deep into nausicaa maybe she's too perfect um maybe there's too much too much going on in the fantasy aspects of it but to me it all works incredibly well this this is also the most miyazaki of the miyazaki films <laughs> and it's the original so he did direct a film before this uh lupin the third which i i think i would want to i want to go over with you mel because that's a very genre film and it'd be an interesting one to look at but this is his first original work uh it's based off of a manga he nausicaa it's based off of a manga he wrote and made and stuff and uh it's it's let's go over the elements of it i guess so first of all the miyazakian elements you have the environmentalism that's the entire film yeah. uh this is supposed <laughs> this is the environmentalist film uh the twist is that it, it's it's all the fault of the humans of course and um it's there's an apocalypse it's an apocalypse because we're terrible to the earth and stuff like that and nausicaa is like the uh, goddess of the earth or something like that you know she connects with the earth she connects with these creatures uh, i would say that the ohms are the greatest fantasy creature ever made i think they're incredible uh, i don't it's they're just so sweeping and interesting and um I, we can talk about the mechanics of the ohms whether they're sentient or not it's not clear i think from from the film it's at times they definitely seem like it like it's like do that do the ohms have a hive mind too that's another interesting topic uh to get into uh the toxic uh jungle they call it um oh yeah i have notes they call it the um they call it different something differently in the sub from the dub they, they called it like a, some like the swamp or something uh the sea of decay oh yeah they and i think in the dub they call it the poison jungle yeah um so these are, i mean these are both translations right so it's not like the toxic jungle they have on wikipedia it's not really clear Ooh, note one what is yeah, that I saw that. <laughs> Toxic Jungle, Sea of Decay in the film's sub version, Sea of Corruption in the manga translation. <laughs> they all mean the well. same thing, but you know. I guess sea and jungle are not the same. But they are similar. And so they're okay. You got the environmentalism, you got the feminism. What strikes me about this rewatch uh, is that this is a very male dominated world, actually. Um, you have Nausicaa as really. Nausicaa and the princess of the other um, of the Tolmika peoples as the only like prominent female characters in power. Uh, Nausicaa's valley seems very male dominated. Um, so this is maybe this is uh, Nausicaa seems like a Game of Thrones type fantasy series in which females find power within a male dominated society. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah, definitely does it more effectively, I think, than Game of Thrones. Um because that was one thing I picked up on, too, is, like, just the pl- plethora of sort of female leaders um, throughout the film. Yeah, it's it, there's certainly the two, but it's it's hard to tell what society is in general. I think in, I think probably Miyazaki would say it's in a post-apocalyptic world, so it's not, there's not a clear of a societal structure, mm-hmm. um, which I think would make sense. But it's it's not, like, everyone's female in this film, or in any of their, his films, really, but not certainly the main characters and the main uh antagonist uh who whatever you want to call the uma thurman character uh it's she's she's very interesting one probably one of the best characters in the film and the feminism the environmentalism the 
the planes, uh, the, the seaplanes. There you go. That's the third one. So this is the seaplanes movie. And it just, he just keeps doing it over and over, uh, in almost every one of his films with these seaplanes. And this is the first instance, I guess, of him including them in his, his films. And they're very cool here. It's more, more aircraft than specific seaplanes. Like we see in Porco Rosso or stuff like that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, the most Miyazaki and the Miyazaki films. Uh, some people would say that Princess Mononoke um, is uh, maybe a better version of Nausicaa, but I would say Nausicaa is first, and it is different because Mononoke is very much not a Miyazaki film. It's like his least version. It's his least himself version of his films. It's very violent and um, kind of darker, and this is this is like the prototypical one. Uh, so I just, not that, not to say that it's his, that his most prototypical film makes it his best film. Uh, this is a hard film to judge critically. I would say there's a lot, a lot happening. It's a very entrenched fantasy movie. This is what I want out of game of Thrones, basically. (laughs) Uh, like, well, I think it's also very different if you're talking about the fantasy world. I mean, yes, it's societally i guess a little bit like game of thrones but game of thrones i think is a little bit too marred down in european medieval and this is very much not really tied i think to any specific culture which i think is service servicing well the sort of post-apocalyptic mad max ish um uh setting is that there's no really identifying thing i think that says it's one specific type of culture that we're we're trying to emulate here kind of like um when you had an avatar it was clearly like an asian influenced world so yeah it's definitely not obvious what cultures they're going for the the uh, the wind valley is the most prominent culture and the most interesting one it almost seems like dwarves from lord of the rings combined with like a european medieval setting mm-hmm that's the, those are the two that I instantly think of for the, like they have. I mean, Lord of, of the Rings did come up as one of the influences on this film, so they have a lot of short people with beards. Like, yeah, there you the, go. <laughs> it's, it's, they seem like the like dwarves, honestly. But uh, it's yeah. Uh, so let's so this rewatch. Um, I don't know. It's just very hard for me to see it in terms of a good or bad film. I I don't necessarily get as much like pure enjoyment out of it as uh, as a Porco Rosso. This it's. it's I, uh, impossible to say that this is worse than Porco so I would say. Uh, but I think they're too different to they're, they're sort of so compare different. them that way. And this is such a put together movie. It's so <clears throat> it's so compact. It's so its mythology is so well uh, done. In like so last podcast in the Incredibles one, uh, we talked about how a lot of films have difficulty um, putting their concept into. In, like uh, combining their concept with the rest of the film's plot narrative. Um, this is a film which it's impossible to see the difference, I think. The mm. concept is so ingrained in uh, the narrative that it established, that uh, the film establishes. And like the ending of the film, um, it, like, it doesn't pull its punches right away. It The twists of the humans were the ones that caused uh, the toxic jungle and um how she's the prophetic figure and how the ohm um come into play at the end these are things that are very well spread out throughout the film narratively um and it's like the concept is the narrative as opposed to something 
um, I mean, what something like uh, Inside Out, I would say. Mm-hmm. So what do, what do you think of that? No, I agree, and I think part of what makes it work is that unlike sort of like The Incredibles or WALL-E, it doesn't have a huge setup in the beginning. Um, it's, you know, those scenes are great and well put together and beautiful, but I think that w- is what we decided was kind of like the, the crippling factor for these Pixar films is that they start out with these great 10, 20-minute intros setting up world and context, and then the narrative kind of falls after that because they don't really... They, they don't really pay as much attention to narrative. I think in this, the beginning, um, with uh, Lord Yupa, yep, I'm not good at pronouncing these things, so I apologize for that, but like this scene where he comes into the town and then um, Nausicaa in, in the jungle, um, finding the elm shell and all that stuff, and it just, it services it so great, because when she goes back out and sees the elm attacking and you get the bit about it being blinded by rage and all that other stuff, just services the rest of the film so well and it and it, it gra- ingrains Nausicaa, her position in, in the society, the context of everything, and then the narrative and what happens with the plot as it escalates. So I think it's just I it's hard to say any one thing makes it work in that way, but if I were to pick a thing that would go on that list, it would be this lack of huge intro. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so this film is like a prologue, uh, with Lord Dupa discovering another city consumed by the jungle, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that transitions so well into the first scene of the film, introducing Nausicaa exploring the own shell um, in this part of the jungle. And then Lord Deep is there. Uh, and then that leads into the introduction of the Wind Valley. Uh, to me, this is just like, this is, I mean, I'm not as adept with narrative study like as you are at all as you, uh, but this is like, this should be taught as how to introduce plot elements in a movie. Mm-hmm. It just stacks so It's well. a very cinematic way to um, introduce plot elements, and maybe that's sort of the problem there with, against like the idea of having a longer intro is that's more of a, a literary way to do it. This is just very well-crafted as a film and film uh, narrative at the beginning. And throughout, but like specifically talking about the at the beginning. This film is very cinematic. Uh, it's interesting because Miyazaki did write it as a manga first, and then he kind of adapted that. But uh, I mean, you know, I, I hate using adapting for someone's own thing. Like mm-hmm. it's their it's their story idea in the beginning, so it doesn't matter what form is originally put in, you know. Uh, but it's just it's the begin the intro, the establishing <laughs> um, the ending of the climax. Uh, all, the way all the plot elements combine like at the end and this film what's what's so interesting kind of narratively i think is how is how it's like the exposition of this film continues into an hour in like even past an hour we're still getting exposition and yet the plot is moving at the same time as we're getting more exposition like yeah. like uh the entire thing with the ship getting shot down and then them going to um uh which one the the shorter named of the two warring countries, the oh, Pejite, the Pejites, okay. um, them going there. That's like all expositionary with, uh, about Pejite and the Pejite leaders and, and Shia LaBeouf's family. And, uh, he's, <laughs> he's the voice in the English dub. I do like that. We didn't have Shia LaBeouf here. I will say that he's a little distracting just yeah, cause he's, we know him so well now, uh, as, as Bell. Just do it. <laughs> uh, and, it's 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 like that plot element comes in and then immediately as we meet them we get the real uh like driver of the climax which is Pe- the Pedrite's actions um there's just so much going on do you do would you agree that uh this film is like still expositioning as we're getting yeah and that's something i really like in that sort of like 
you've got these movies again like going back to pixar where it's like information dump and then you don't really get too much after that because you're just going off of what you've been told but this i think gives more breadth to the world when an hour in you're still learning things about the history about the culture um because it's the thing with fantasy is that it doesn't work if you don't if the like the writer themselves don't believe it or or don't take the time to sort of um give give the information in in a natural way that it would happen like yeah there's that prologue in the beginning where it it kind of like tells you what happened with like the seven years of fire and that sort of thing but there's no like giant information dump scene like it's littered throughout where you get pieces of of this world and i think that's the way that makes the most sense to an audience member and seems the most natural and the most real when you're when you know the hardest suspension of disbelief is going to be a complete fantasy world like this like that's the way to do it yeah, I, I just I just feel like this is such so many fantasy films kind of have difficulty with exposition, and this one is just so good with it. It's 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 very Lord of the Ringsy, I think, in its exposition. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't comment too much on that, but you're the you're the master there. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, I mean, looking at like recent films, I don't know recent fan. There's there's we don't get as many like sweeping fantasies these days. As we do with like Nausicaa and uh, Lord of the Rings types things, I mean Terry Potter sweeping fantasy. It's like kind of a genre film in slice of life, like school based. You know, yeah. um, this is just pure. Uh, it's like a post apocalyptic one, but <laughs> that's kind of funny looking at YA novels now. Post apocalyptic ones get. Getting... I, I don't even want to. Because <laughs> like this is before any of this nonsense started, right? Yeah. So this is just. Well, that's much. that's like when they. Oh gosh kicking stuff that's like when they adapted um the giver and it was like the original post-apocalyptic novel but it was after all the other ones so it seemed like yeah (laughs) that was unfortunate did you see the giver movie i did not yeah it's interesting we could talk about that at some point not on this podcast but uh i don't know so let's talk not the character of nausicaa um I feel like they pronounce Nashika. How do they pronounce? It's not. That? A, I believe it's a Greek name. It's not even Japanese. Yeah, it's so it's kind I, of a sound that's hard. I think hard the way they're pronouncing it in the sub is sort of making two languages meet. Yeah, which is interesting. The dub definitely doesn't do that. I say. I think they yeah. just do Nausicaa. Uh Although it's been a little bit since I've seen the dub as well. Uh, so I don't know. What do you think of Nasca? <laughs> um, I mean, I definitely see her as like a proto for. All these other sort of, I don't, I'm not as entrenched as like in the right kinds of anime as I should be, but I definitely, from what I've seen, what I've been exposed to, she's definitely sort of the the influencing factor on a lot of these female characters. Um, I do think <clears throat> her, you brought up the point that she might be a little bit too perfect, and I don't, I think that's a simplistic term. I just think her sort of <clears throat> narrative arc relied heavily on what was happening around her um, a little bit more than maybe what was going on in her internal world. But at the same time, I don't think it, it took away from the film at all. That's just, if you want to look at character studies, that's something to, to pick up. Look, some people are just actually perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that is not, no, but you know, it's true. Like this is not a character film. This is a, uh, like a fantasy plot film and it's about Nasca, but uh, her development is more within the context of the plot, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, since she's the one who has to, she's the only one who can stop them. She has to kind of be great in our eyes. Uh, Nasca is um, every 
anime lead currently. Nausicaa is Aang. Nausicaa is definitely Korra. Um, watching this film, this is just very clearly Korra on the screen. Um, she's she's so, I think, influential in terms of these main characters we get. Like, obviously Korra is... Nausicaa might even be a little bit buffy. She might be buffy, too. I don't know how much Miyazaki we didn't watch, but uh, that's very possible, yeah. Not, like... Korra is certainly uh, from the Legend of Korra, obviously. Um, much more like hot-headed and stuff like that. But just the way she interacts with everyone and like the smile, the big smiles, and her uh, ener- energetic reaction interactions with everyone, and the way she interacts with the elements of her world, the environmental elements—it's just all very Nausicaa-based, I think. And mm-hmm. this can be said of a lot of Miyazaki's characters, female leads. There's a lot that are similar, but none that are the original Nausicaa and none that are kind of as much this character prototype as she is. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so um, one quick interesting thing I think we should talk about is how there's a few, uh, I think a lot of, I've heard there's fan service shots of Nausicaa. I've heard people say this and there's a, it's interesting because I'm not sure what context to... It's hard for us to view this in the context of when this film was made. There's one shot of uh, Toto like going down her shirt, and then there's a few uh, from behind up her skirt, right? Yeah. Uh, but I th- I basically, I mean, what I think, I don't know what your opinion on this is. I think this is only seen, like, in terms of... I think this is only sexualized in ter- if you view it as current anime uh, type of sexualization behavior. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of be- arguments and discussion to be had with the idea of, like, the male gaze um, and what it does in cinematography, but I didn't really find it, you know, for that purposes at all, so... Yeah, I don't think... I don't think it was for those purposes. It was not... These were not detailed shots or anything like that. I just think it was very much non-sexualized. At the same time, we do have to consider that it's Miyazaki making the film, and he is a male director, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, I think just Nausicaa very... Um, well, do you, th- do you think the, the char- her character is innately um, like male gaze? So and what I mean is that it's kind of easy to see her as like this... Um, this like prophetic figure um, and like the like incredibleness of like the female character or femininity or stuff like that. And it's like, is would only a male rate this type of, of character? Um, well, that's a multifaceted question. It's, I think. it's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean the idea. So like you're saying like this sort of prophetic chosen one type type character. She's it's it's just like she's so um incredible and uh it's it's almost like such an idealistic viewpoint of uh of females and femininity in our culture that I feel like it's you could make an argument that uh, a female wouldn't view it like that. You know? I mean you could because I feel like a lot of the female writers I've been exposed to, everyone at this point is very focused on sort of like very flawed and um complicated female characters and Nausicaa is not that so you could view it in that way where it's like a man wouldn't take that wouldn't wouldn't go that route um with a heroic character like this yeah I mean I just it's like in terms of if I'm gonna make a movie like this I would like want to like have such an incredible female lead like Nausicaa like I feel like that's very much something from my perspective that would happen Mm -hmm. 
It is interesting just because like what we were talking about with Ratatouille and and Incredibles and before where you you know we were trained to want these stories that are just naturally male stories. I feel like this is one of them that you hear okay it's a movie about a post post apocalyptic world. You've got your your protagonist who ends up being this sort of prophesized savior at the end of the film. Your automatic thought is going to probably be male because that's again like the stories we've been told king arthur biblical stories um harry potter just all that stuff it's it's a very it is a very male story so i think it's very interesting that you would take this sort of very male coded um plot and make it about a female yeah it certainly is um subversive to the american viewpoint of uh like what this character would be i guess what i mean is like from like specifically my perspective, right? As some as like this like hyper feminist like I am, right? I would so if I was gonna like make the guy who teaches the vampire class. <laughs> that makes no sense in at all context. But uh, <laughs> it's it, as it's just this one this as like me who's just loves these female characters so much and is much more interested in um if I was gonna write them or just like consuming uh media with them. Uh like I feel like from that perspective, which I think Miyazaki is also of, because it makes sense, he mm-hmm. almost exclusively writes female leads, uh, that this is just this, this is very much the uh, character that comes out of this viewpoint, I feel like. I feel like I feel like you could say that Nausicaa is a male feminist created character, mm-hmm. which is interesting. I'm not sure, I mean, I'm not sure if it's true, but I feel like that's... that's no, I think that's an interesting point. Um, and it's not that it's bad, but it's possible that it's not, uh, maybe she's not realistic because she comes from that viewpoint. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, I, let's talk other characters, I guess, and come back to Nasca because it is hard to discuss her character in too much, in too much depth. She's really just kind of this, this really prophetic character who's just in touch with the environment in a way no one else seems to be in the movie. Uh, yeah. Which I think makes sense. I think the movie does a good job convincing you why no one else cares about the environment like she does. Just very entrenched in the world that they're living in and their viewpoint. Uh, Asbel, I the Wikipedia page lists him second. I would not list him as the second main character, uh, yeah. aka Shia LaBeouf. It's interesting. Um, Actual cannibal. I actually think one of <laughs> not here, although he does kill a lot of people. I actually think one of the most interesting facets of Nasca's character is how much she embraces Asbel um, after her introduction to him is him killing everyone. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the, it's, it's, why is Asbel so sympathetic to Nasca? You know, I'm not sure. Or it, it's like, this is such, this is maybe the best, speaking to the best parts of her character. She actually cares about everyone, like no matter what yeah. about them. Uh, potential romance there. Yes, no. Um, I find it. It's I have this thing with Miyazaki movies where I think a lot of them, from what I've been exposed to, have these sort of potential romance stories that don't really happen. Um, so I think it's interesting. Um, maybe. I mean, I'm not really emotionally attached to the idea of it. So there's like one beat on each side of it that you could say. Uh, you could also argue that this is why Nasca is so sympathetic towards him, even though he's like not a great person. Uh, it's the movie's it, the movie kind of does something like that in the epilogue with the credits, but not really. So he like spin he like spins her around or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's not an important thing in the film, and it's not. 
it's not it's not super appealing to me because of how Shia LaBeouf is in this. I don't not, I'm not super sympathetic towards that character. Uh, Princess uh, Kushana of the the whatever's Tom, Tom, Tomikins, yeah. Tomikin. I always forget the tribe names or whatever. So this character, <laughs> she's the Zuko of the story, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. She's the Carmilla. She's the Zuko. <laughs> she's the. Uh... Dylan and I have fundamental differences about anti-heroes versus this. Um, this is one of my favorite or villains. Villains turn. That's a that's a dicey topic. Anti-villains versus anti-heroes. Most people call Zuko an anti-hero during Avatar's run, but people well, also misuse the word anti-hero yeah, definitely, a lot. Definitely. She's she's my favorite of this character archetype, though. She's super interesting. Uh, it's it's I guess it's how sympathetically the film kind of like i'm always on board with her even though she's trying to shoot them within the toxic jungle uh it's and it's like no stop uh, mm-hmm. and, and even though she's trying to bring back uh ancient evil into the world she's actually doing a lot of bad things but yeah but she's i feel like she's always sympathetic towards the film i think the choice to make her female is essential kind of uh as a foil to nausicaa really yeah uh, and i feel like how she comes around to Nausicaa is great. How Nausicaa always treats her is great. Uh, the part when she removes her armor and she like is missing limbs. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and then she says, uh, the man who becomes my husband will see much worse than this. I thought that was like a dub. I always thought that was just a weird dubbing thing. But no, that's actually the line. in the Yeah. <laughs> that line's very odd. Uh, I have questions. But I also... Don't. No, dude, don't. Good. we don't. Need <laughs> um, and I think an essential part of her is um, her interactions with her underling. I don't remember his name. Is uh, uh, yeah, this this guy. Know. He's really his character is interesting. <laughs> he's he's like the he's kind of the comic relief. Um, it's it's cool how he's he's like okay, maybe now it's time to. I feel like he's. I relate to him because it's like she he thinks she dies and it's like okay now maybe it's my time to do what i want and then she comes back and he's like oh well and then like defers to her immediately yeah that's pretty interesting uh his voice i always remember his voice in the i forgot who plays him in the dub but it's kind of distinctive and i feel like it accurately represented his sub's voice too and mark hamill was in the sub mark hamill's in a lot of things mark hamill is in a lot of things so was jody benson i'm just kind yeah. A lot of a lot of some overlap here. Uh, Lord Yupa, the famed swordsman, Lord Yupa, he has this one incredible scene when uh, he like invades the ship when they're trying to, I guess, rescue Nasca. There's a lot of stuff that happens on ships concurrently. Yeah, <laughs> and and then uh, he kind of like takes everyone out, and, and the guy's like, "You're tough." <laughs> yeah, that guy's tough. Yeah, that's like the big Lord Yupa thing. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Obaba, the prototypical uh, um, prophetic, like old woman, right? Yeah. What do you? Obaba might be the most archetypal character in the film. It is the um, you. It is the uh, supernatural aid of the um, your favorite topic, the monomyth. Um, supernatural aid, magical helper, Obi Wan Kenobi, Gandalf type deal. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't actually do anything, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> like, she kind of predicts things. She, like, refers to this old legend, but she's kind of just there talking. 
Yeah, which that's, yeah, I mean, it's just, like, it's it's a very, like, tropey motif thing where you've got this, like, elder that just knows stuff or thinks they know stuff or is imparting wisdom or what have you. So, not much too much to say on it besides, of, you know, it's a fantasy movie and every fantasy movie needs one of those. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Who, uh, Tato, mm-hmm. the uh, fox squirrel. The little dude. So here we have our first obvious Avatar influence, right? Like, uh, Miyazaki, like Mike and Brian, I don't think ever mentioned Nausicaa specifically. They just say Miyazaki films. The yeah. one they the one they mentioned specifically is Totoro, because that's obviously where Appa's from, Capus in Totoro. But uh, I feel like this film is just Avatar. This is just exactly what Avatar is based off of. Yeah. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about that in more detail, because it's just all every element of Avatar is just from this film, really. Uh, so let's start with Tato, the animal hybrids. He's a fox squirrel also um pokemon like this looks like what jolteon or something like that (laughs) i think this is filmed before pokemon too so but this is maybe pokemon influence too tato what do you think of tato tato's the best right yeah he's adorable one of my favorite all-time favorite scenes in anything is her uh like meeting and taming tato um her letting him bite her yeah and uh just her interactions with like animals are so incredible and that's like the best one and he crawls in her hood and hangs out and he's just hanging out the whole film yeah most most spoken most frequent line of dialogue tato by her yeah just all the time uh it's i don't know he's he i think he's the best animal companion he's also momo obviously Mm -hmm. uh and on nausicaa's ang let's talk about more avatar uh influences they're the wind valley and they wear orange and yeah. they're kind of this nomadic people. Mm-hmm. So they're actually just the airbenders, yeah. This is where the um, the enemies in this film are ones who want to bring fire into the world. <laughs> uh, they, you know. Yeah, they, we shoot, uh, we're shooting. I mean, also, I think a lot of the Korra elements in books one and two are very much from, from Nausicaa. I feel like they go back to the well there uh, with the supernatural elements of book two specifically uh basically the toxic jungle is the spirit world uh the uh, like the insects are the spirits um mm-hmm. a nasca is the one nasca ang and core is the one that talks to the spirits right and is the only one that like kind of understands that they're not harmful even though a lot of people think they're harmful uh ba- so essentially everything yeah. It's just Avatar, really. It's it's just it's the same, and it's great. And I don't know why Mike and Brian don't talk about this more. That's something I would ask them if we get an interview. But <laughs> holding uh, breath. Yeah, we should uh, specifically interview on the Nausicaa influences in Avatar. I. Uh, it's it's just so so much so much the same. Uh, what else do I want to talk about? from that i don't think anything but yeah the fox squirrel is it's i don't know do we do we see hybrid animals in any of his other films i think we're gonna have to see this on rewatch uh, i mean i haven't watched them in so long i can't really yeah i don't i don't remember either uh i'm inclined to say no but that could be yeah so completely wrong i don't know random elements of the film i want to talk about visually the toxic jungle is just incredible mm-hmm mm-hmm and the ohm, I think, visually are incredible as well. Yeah. Uh, a horseshoe crab desert things. Yeah. Just, I don't, yeah, don't even know. 
what would I would call them. There should be oh, there should have been ohm in. Uh, I guess the ohm's like a lion turtle. I don't know what would be the analog in Avatar. Kind of hard to say. They don't do much, so it's I mean like sentiently speaking. So yeah, I wouldn't quite say that they're the lion turtle. So but... let's talk of the ohm. So I feel like there's uh, sometimes the ohm seem like they are not sentient like they don't have free thoughts or mm-hmm. no that's sapiens free thoughts so um right isn't that sapient yeah so it's like like conscious thought like humans sapiens it's other times they do uh like when they stick their little feelers out and they assess nausicaa and like yeah. know everything about her from and then they react to that based off of what they see yeah, I mean, you could make the argument that they're only responding to sort of, like, emotional or symbolic imagery elements as opposed to, like, they're understanding something yeah. um, in a way that she understands it. From us, it seems like they are looking in her past memories and seeing that she saved the baby home that one time, so she's cool. That's mm-hmm. what, like, it seems like to us. That's what the film wants it to seem like, but it could just be that they're, like, she's a positive person, you know? She's, yeah. There's no, like, anger or whatever within her. Uh I kind of always got the sense that the Ohm are kind of hive mindish uh, because one of them assesses her and then the rest kind of react accordingly. Yeah. Do you, what do you think? Yes. I agree. Um, and I think it makes them kind of interesting hive mind. Yeah. Like it, it makes them even more alien kind of, that's kind of a typical yeah. alien characteristic. We yeah. Have. And uh, like what I think ants uh, have hive mind and that sort of thing too. in modern day world. So yeah. The idea of a collective consciousness kind of freaks me out, so I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they are kind of like ants. That's a good comparison. Not the movie Ants, though. No. We will not be talking about that one. Uh, The soundtrack, uh, this is by Joe Izashi. I forgot how 80s this movie was until... Is it because of the soundtrack? Is that It's because of the soundtrack and a lot of the sound, like, just the sound effects. The sound design is very old, Is super 80s. I feel like this to me. I like the sound design, by which I mean, like the the noises, like the gliders make and stuff like that. That it seems like a conscious choice, but at the same time, it's also probably the best they had in the eighties. So uh-huh. um, I don't know. It just I feel like it still works now really well. Yeah. It, it kind of goes sets a. I mean, it's. I think film. it's part of the tone of the film at this yeah. point. So. Uh yeah, and uh, just about the soundtrack. Uh, favorite themes. There's the kind of the. Nausicaa theme or like the main theme of the film is incredible and then there's the da 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 the flashback one yeah which they kept which i think is young nausicaa singing that but yeah but like they kept it for the dub and they didn't change it so it's it's interesting i didn't you don't make that connection when watching the dub because her voice is different right yeah so yeah but it's that that's incredible during the flashbacks the flashbacks to young nausicaa and the elmer visually like they kind of don't do a different visual style for them uh, which is a very ghibli thing to do and it's just stunning i think those are some of the best sequences of the film yeah okay and uh i think one of the things i noticed this time is that um they kind of lay off on the soundtrack for a lot of the film a lot of it's silent which i think is interesting like it certainly picks up at crucial moments there's one moment in the film where they kind of go into one theme and then they instantly switch into another one um, which is interesting. Also, I feel like the dub they added stuff. Let's let's look at this because I feel like they added more music in the dub. Maybe that's why I'm noticing it now, or maybe that was a different one. I am not sure. 
I haven't watched the the dub in years, so yeah. So the thing with the dub sure is that, that originally, in like the year after it came out, they dubbed this. They released a heavily edited one version, which was the worst thing ever, and they like turned it into an action film by editing, uh, and it sucks. And this kind of like caused Miyazaki and Ghibli to never like give rights to their films again for like over ten years. Uh, until they find Disney kind of finally convinced them to. And then when they're dubbing Mononoke, uh, the, I guess it was Miramax did this. So on here, on hearing Miramax co-chairman Harvey Weinstein would, would try to cut princess Mononoke to make it more marketable. One of studio Ghibli's producers sent an authentic katana with the simple message, no cuts. That's like one of the best stories. Yeah. Uh, sending a katana to Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow what a sentence yeah pretty great uh yeah so then they eventually got this redubbed in 2005 and I, i'm a big fan of the the redub i feel like it maybe it's not this one maybe it's a different one where they add like a lot of background music and stuff i feel like that was on the wikipedia page at some point but i'm not sure but yeah i feel like this is some of joe Asashi's best best stuff he does all the most of the miyazaki films and it's pretty incredible. A lot of people, big fans of his here. Um, what elements should we, uh, random things I like. I like the, I'm just going to say kind of things I randomly think of the little girls going up there, giving her the nuts before she leaves Yeah. on the thing. That's one of my favorite scenes. Uh, cause there's actually not too many female to female interactions in this film. No, I think it's all, um, Kishana and Nausicaa. Yeah, those are the big the big ones, of course. And then that princess who dies for two hot seconds. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh yeah, and then the the other the females on the ship help her. Um, it's interesting that it's specifically all the females of the Pejai people are the ones yeah. that want to help her because she knew uh, the princess. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else am I, can I think of? Uh, some of the creatures from. The spirit world, you know, the poison jungle stand out to me. Like the one day, the one long one with like the pierce, the pincers, which was like going to kill all Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Why do you still call him Shia LaBeouf even though you I feel like it's easy. I feel like it's easier for uh, us to conceptualize Asbel. Yeah, Asbel. I don't know. I don't think much of Asbel, so I'm going to call him Shia LaBeouf, you know. Uh, I don't know. There's... Uh, oh, we haven't discussed the war ancient warrior thing. Yeah, that's. I actually find that interesting. It's really interesting because it kind of is a disparate plot element, which is just like there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like he's like the post-apocalyptic part of the film, right? Because you kind of yeah. maybe maybe he's necessary because you kind of forget about that. But uh, it's. I don't know. What do you? What well, do you I think, think it, it also services the idea of like environmentalism versus industry, and that sort of thing. Like you get in the prologue, at least in the the subbed version, like it says word for word something like um, industrial civilization like was destroyed by um, this like seven seven days of fire. Um, I think there's a lot of real world comparisons you can make with this thing. Um, a lot of sort of symbolism and imagery it recalls, especially for the 80s, considering what was going on then, like, in the world. So I think um, it services sort of just a general tone and theme more than 
plot itself. They're very themey. It's it's not clear whether these are human created or not. Yeah. I don't I don't know. It's there it's it kind of seems more like that they're just ancient evil from even before humans. Love some Lovecraft uh stuff. Yeah, and I don't know. He's really cool, though. When I, it, what's great is that they're kind of setting it up the whole film, and then he comes out and he fires two things, and then he dies. I don't. Know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I guess that's like the comeuppance for Uma Thurman, you know. We wanna dance like Uma. Th- no, we don't have the rights to that song. Many references <laughs> in this podcast, which would not have happened a year ago. Yeah. No. Like you, t- you talked about. Uh, Mad Max as well. Yeah, which, yeah, like, and by that I meant, like, Thunderdome slash um, mm-hmm. uh, Fury Road. So. Yeah, I th- the climax of, uh, okay, so the climax of the Ohm's all stampeding and stuff, and then them lifting her up in the golden thing, surrounding her, the tentacles of the Ohm. It's just very, I don't know, I find that very cathartic. Mm-hmm. And... All she does, I don't know, I don't, maybe don't remember this perfectly. All she does is like just go stand in front of them. <laughs> I mean, she saves the little one, and then the little one's the one that ultimately like communicates, which is hive another, mind. more evidence for hive mind. Yeah, that. But She's if it was cool. like, if it was like a true hive mind, then they would have known immediately, you know? Uh, once the little one starts to like her, then they would all like her, but eventually they could, you can communicate with them enough. Um, the film kind of ends abruptly after that, and we just get glimpses of the things that happen after. Yeah. What do you think of that narratively? Not much falling action, or no, um, none really. I mean, I'm fine with it. I think sometimes falling action can be like the weakest part of stuff, and it makes it feel too much like you're like you're back, like you realize that you're watching a story instead of just sort of immersing in the world. You're like, oh, now it's the falling action, it's the cleanup. You know, here's the piano music montage. Like, I feel like this, the way it ended abruptly, and just getting sort of snippets of um, what happened after. I prefer a lot more to um, another ten minutes of falling action because it's like required what film did i say recently that had like too much falling action i mean the one that people cite a lot is return of the king um because it's got like an extra 25 minutes um after they destroy the ring and like rescue frodo and sam like eight more things happen and a lot of people said that that was the one um flaw with that movie is that the falling action like took like forever to resolve so yeah, I think I'd say I said, that's an example of don't don't with the falling action. Oh, I think I said it about um one of the ones with Sam about a uh, tale of Kaguya. Yeah, so this is like the opposite of Kaguya, and that <laughs> it just goes straight ends. Uh, I don't know what what elements what the, what elements have we not discussed that you thought of when watching? Um, I mean, we talked about the theming, but. I guess what I took out of it and found interesting with the giant like warrior thing and sort of like how, how, like how they said that they were response like helped with the the whole um, destruction or it was like something from a time around the destruction or what have you. <clears throat> I felt like a lot of this was sort of especially for it being nineteen what was it nineteen eighty four was an analog for sort of like the cold not the cold war but like the possibility of like nuclear annihilation. Um, I took that, and I don't even know if it was meant to be or not. I feel like it was a little bit just because of, like, the mentions of fire and sort of, like, this barren world and that sort of thing. And 
just like utter destruction of like society and that sort of thing i took that out of it and i found it really interesting um because i love when you've got these like fantasy films like this that that tell a story like that um from what is essentially supposed to be your own world so that particular theme whether it was intended or not was something i found very interesting yeah that's not something i would it's something I a lot of people bring up about things that I don't often immediately think of, like this mm-hmm. nuclear bomb and stuff. Uh, but I think it makes sense for this film, considering the time period, right? This yeah. is like during the 80s stuff with... Uh, I mean, I guess he wrote the manga, so even like late 70s, we're definitely into the Cold War period here. And I think that makes sense. Yeah. So that that's kind of seen as like human-built destruction. Um, so that would be the... So, like, if we're going to look at it like that, we're going to argue that this is definitely a human cause. Yeah. Uh, how do you think the environmental uh, themes are... Uh, do you think they're maybe more... Relative to other Miyazaki films, which also have this environmental message, is this better or worse than... I think what makes this interesting is the way that they use, like, sort of the insects throughout and kind of not what you'd think of naturally when you think of environmentalism and that sort of thing. People always want to show sort of, like, the cute aspect of that. And I think it's really interesting here that he went with, like, okay, here's the the jungle um, where a lot of, like, sort of, like, wild and scary things live. And there's, like, all sorts of these, like, creepy crawly bugs running around. But that's the environmentalism and... These are the creatures, like, throughout the film, like, with the alm that you learn to, like, sort of see in the same light as you might see, like, oh, like, look at, like, shots of something, like, less unnerving to watch, I guess. I thought that was an interesting choice to be with the environmentalism and sort of promoting environmentalism is showing, like, not necessarily the pretty parts of nature, um, but portraying them as, as very beautiful aspects. Yeah, I think I think this this film does the environmental themes better than any other film ever, uh, because it's just so it's just such an essential part of the plot, and uh, it's also not like obvious from the beginning, because the environment is hostile inherently. That's the entire concept of the film, and then the twist is no humans cause the environment to be hostile, and that's the Earth rebelling against uh, this human influence. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it's most analogous to the current situation with the Earth environmentally. Um, like even today, I'm not sure how much they knew in the 80s about this type of thing, but it's very prophetic, it seems like, from Miyazaki. And uh, it's also just the most well-integrated, the most uh, resonance, I would say, mm-hmm. out of all his films. So this is the environmental Miyazaki film, <laughs> even though all of them are, this one especially. Uh do you think this film is feminist? Um, I I do on the basis that it just has a, such a strong female presence and used a female character as its lead and, and like super like epic fantasy hero type character. Um, I don't think it specifically does anything for um, feminism like on a specific ground level, but I think just sort of by nature it's very feminist it's like we're not teaching this in feminist classes but it's, yeah uh, it's yeah. yeah yeah i mean the, the two important characters in this film are nasuka and kushana right and they're both specifically female and their interactions are the most interesting uh the world is the world around them is decently male and it's interesting how it's kind of uh not how at least pedrite society and potentially others come across as uh male dominated and stuff like that but uh 
certainly i mean nasuka is just like the feminist lead <laughs> so yeah. on that on that uh aspect alone uh yeah so i don't know it, th- these are the elements to me which which resonate so much the cool technology the, the other the third of the miyazaki themes um uh the sh- i don't know one thing i thought of is like how fast the tolkien tolmican ships go down from this like little shia LaBeouf ship that's like i had that thought during that thing it's like why is shia LaBeouf so effective at shooting down tolmican airships i don't know i, I, I can't tell you i guess you. he's just <laughs> shy is just that good you know shy is just that good he's gonna go eat them all later the ships are the people that the he people. shot down okay the people actual cannibal shia LaBeouf. yeah and it, uh the the gunships seem very powerful yeah the little the little ones and the the tomican ship that boards the pedra ship too it's pretty yeah. interesting uh yeah okay so starting to wrap up what do you think what's your response now that we've talked about now you watch it and stuff like that to my little thing in the beginning about how this is like untouchable and stuff i don't know how do you how do you see this film how do you see this film in the context of everything i definitely do think it's like up there with like probably like i'm not i i hazard to say like a certain number in terms of like top five or top ten but it's definitely one of the the greatest films i think ever made i i don't think it and and it's interesting because i have this sort of feeling about a lot like fantasy epics like lord of the rings to me like that collectively is the greatest film ever made so i feel like this comes very close in terms of like um just breath and and style and music and um, animation and cinematography and all these other elements that work together perfectly. I don't think it's a perfect film, um, but I just I do think it's like one of the the best films out there. That being said, I still think Porco Rosso is my favorite Miyazaki film, <laughs> which is a weird which is a weird sort of like dichotomy to have in my head between those those two, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely have a lot more respect for it now than I did when I first watched it a few years ago. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's not... Yeah, I agree it's not one of my... Like, my absolute favorite either. I'm going to get to my list list here. I'm going to pull out the, uh, the old list. No. <sighs> but, uh, yeah, it's just so hard for me not to see this as the, the film for everything. Especially, like, seeing how much Avatar connects to it, specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, gotta pull up the uh, yeah, Porco Rosso. It's inter- yeah, I think it's interesting that you that Porco Rosso is your favorite because you're more likely to like the uh, the kind of these fantasy epics than me, I would say. Yeah, and but Porco Rosso is also kind of a fantasy epical. Not it's, it's not like it's, it's not magical a, realism. It's magical realism type thing. I don't know. It's it's not really a fantasy film, but it's it's it kind of has that feel. I don't know something like that. I have Noxica's two on my. This is on my favorites list. Uh, I feel like I'll like, I don't know, will I like Spirited Away better on rewatch? I'm not sure. I think there's an opinion that some people have is that, uh, the late nineties, early two thousands ones are more, uh, well done and well put together than Nausicaa. So they're better. I think that's not a invalid opinion. Like saying Mononoke is better than Nausicaa, not even favorite, just like better film. Uh, it's not, it's not invalid. I don't think Mononoke comes together like Nausicaa does. Um, it, maybe it has more interesting themes. Maybe it has certainly some different ones, and we'll get into that when we get into Mononoke. But they, they're kinds of they're kind of like two sides of this uh, 
fantasy epic Miyazaki f- f- coin mm-hmm. here, which would be interesting to look into when we get into one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, this is. This is, yeah. So now we've gotten Nasuka out of the way. We can get into the the other Miyazaki epics. And uh, I feel like it'll be interesting to see how Nasuka ages. I mean, it's already been 30 years since yeah. it. And I feel like it's. Um, I think animation ages better than um, yeah. live action for sure. So. Yeah, definitely. It's. I mean, I also think this film's animation is just very good. It's also. Yeah. It's also. It's very obviously different from Spirited Away, and that this is hand drawn and Spirited Away is digital. Yeah, it's, it's a very obvious. Difference. I still think, though, at the same time, kind of like what you said for The Incredibles, like this could come out now, and I'd still, I, I wouldn't, just like discredit it or anything. I think anim- I think animation wise, if this came out now and we we're like, this is a the first hand drawn animated film in like 10 years we could be like okay i think yeah sound design wise it's maybe aged a little bit but yeah but yeah honestly the animation like and it's interesting to think about how animation hasn't gotten all that much better i mean the the thing to me the recent but merida's hair (laughs) to me the recent uh the triumph is maybe on the television side with cora like to me cora looks it's just so much better looking than any other television i also series. do think animation right now is less about a technological advancement and more about sort of like quality and and storytelling at this point when you've got things like cora and steven universe um and th- these now like picks are getting back into um the original um scripts instead of like sequels is that the big thing right now i think is sort of like re maturing the storytelling uh, for animation yeah, I mean, I think narratively is why we love it and, like, why yeah. animation fans love it so much. But I also think Korra is just, uh, it's also, like, a technical marvel in addition to, uh, yeah, you know, just being the incredible series it is. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting to think about how maybe on television uh, animation's improved, like, significantly recently, but on film it kind of stagnates. Yeah. Interesting. But, yeah, okay. There we go, Nasuka, Valley of the Wind. Um, I don't know, last thoughts? Um, does this make you want to see... Which which Miyazaki film does this make you want to see next? That I haven't seen? No, just the ones, because you've seen the big ones, so... Um, I don't know, maybe Spirited Away, I guess. Because I never really had a huge high opinion about that, but a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah. So... It might be interesting to to watch that again and um, see if I, I changed any like I did with Nausicaa. But yeah, makes I think I, I like Nausicaa better as a base anyway. So yeah, I mean, I want to this this makes me want to get into Mononoke because of the fantasy aspects, Spirited Away because those are like the top two uh, and stuff like that. So mm. we'll we'll see when we get to those. So I guess that Sweet. wraps things up. I'm. Dylan Eisen, that's Mel Moy. Mel, where are you on places? Uh, Twitter, at Mel Moy, Tumblr, themelmoy.tumblr.com. Dylan OVA on Tumblr, Dylan underscore OVA on Twitter. And you can find about this podcast, everything about this podcast at overlyanimated.com. Patreon, patreon.com slash overlyanimated. Thanks to our current patrons, uh, Shayna, Cordell, Mitch, Beatrice, and Nate. uh, Haina, Fever Mitch, Cordell University, Beatrice, 
Nathan Strange and Nathan Fillion, I guess, still. We're yes. still, still debating it. I, maybe, that's, maybe it's sticking there. All that firefly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess I think I feel like my warning in the beginning was justified because we didn't get into these type of deep discussions that we do where for some of the Pixar films. Uh, I feel like the Pixar films are more conducive to. Uh, well, it's like we said here, like Nausicaa isn't as character centric as something like The Incredibles or um, Inside Out is. So Yeah, it's like not as character centric and there's like nothing to societally criticize so we can get into these big yeah. <laughs> like things like there's it's not like we could see a narrative into a huge narrative discussion because of narrative problems or it's not like it's male dominated so we have to go into a big discussion on that it's just kind of just has everything so what yeah. are we gonna talk about too much uh yeah i don't know good yeah <laughs> there you go let me know what you thought of this uh on tumblr twitter places uh what you think of nausicaa as a film i would encourage you to rewatch it it's just it's just so such such Nasca, such brilliance. Much Nasca, very very well. Very wow. Yeah. Uh okay. I think that uh, that wraps it up. We'll see you guys on the next the next one. This is coming out Saturday. It's next one's Monday. Question mark? Oh yeah, Rick and Marty. Okay, so Rick and Marty comes back Ooh. on that Monday. You I think you would like that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? I have a question to ask you later. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what that is in a second. Anyway, thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.